0: Escape from Plan A. You know what I hate about Asian parents? They're so honest, like they, they have no filter. They have no editing system. Whatever they think they say. This is my dad. Good morning, dad. You look ugly today. <laughs> you look horrible. <laughs> when I was in high school, I used to bring girls into my house, right? I would introduce them to my dad. My dad would tell them stories about me, like secrets, like dark shit. Hey, dad, this is Cindy. When we lived in Minnesota, about we was molested by a retarded guy.
1: How do you
0: get molested by a I
1: don't know. Hi friends, this is another episode of Escape from Plan A. I'm your host, Oxford Kondo, and tonight I am joined by Jess.
2: Hi. Diana. Hey everyone.
1: And Jong. Hey, what's up? Hey Diana, you're becoming a regular now. So, so good to have you uh, on all the time.
2: Thanks, it's good to be here.
1: And before we get started, just a reminder to please uh, subscribe to us if you haven't already. Uh, if you like us, please rate us five stars and leave comments even if you'd like. And this episode, we're going to talk about um, Asian emotional labor. <laughs> and this was something that uh, I just came to my mind because I was reading this article in The Atlantic, which was uh, talking about how this term is actually just like overstretched now and it encompasses much more than what the original uh, creator of the term meant. So uh, let me pull up that person's name. Arlie Hochschild. Let's give credit where credit is due. So she created this term. uh, But now, you know, it's a very popular term. You see it uh, used a lot to describe many things. And I mean, the whole point of the article was that, uh, as I said, it's not what she meant before. So uh, you guys all read the article, right? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, before we get to like the the Asian emotional labor part of it, uh, I, I think it's worth talking about. Like, what, what do you guys think of of like the article's point? Do you think it's overused now?
3: I, I definitely do. Um, I thought the author, uh, both the journalist who did the piece and you know um, the original the originator of the term, uh, were pretty correct in saying um, it, there's a lot of there's a lot of dilution of the term. Like it's it a lot of it just seems to be called emotional labor labor just because a woman is doing it. But if we actually drill down to what is actually being discussed, there is a distinct dis- there's a distinction to be made here. Like if you're talking about, you know, you have a disproportionate share of housework or childcare, organization, management, all that falls on your shoulders, you can just call that labor, right? This is a disproportionate um Allocation of labor, like household labor, that falls on the woman's shoulders. We don't really need to talk about it as emotional labor.
2: I think it's um emotional labor is like conflated with the labor that is invoking the emotion and causing the need for emotional labor, that sort of thing. And I I actually don't hear it used that much just in my day to day. Um. But it seems like from the reading or from the articles that people are just kind of like using it willy nilly. Basically, like whenever I get annoyed, I'm going to call it me doing emotional labor and I'm going to shut it down.
1: Mm-hmm. Wait, Diana, don't you spend a lot of time on Twitter? You you really don't <laughs> encounter it a lot when you're on Twitter?
2: Oh, um, I I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't bother me that much. And like, I don't really get harassed or anything, you know? <laughs> So I just kind of like stay out of, I I stay out of like the really bad fights or
3: whatever.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you that it's kind of become this term to mean like I am, I'm not liking the direction of this conversation or I don't like the request that you just made of me. Uh, I think there's an, I, I tend to see it used uh, in a way that suggests that the person, um, claiming that they have to perform emotional labor feels that the situation is unfair in, in some way, either due to a um, hierarchical, hierarchical um, structural dynamic between their two relative positions. I, I definitely think that it's getting overused. And I think it does a disservice to people who actually have to perform emotional labor.
1: Yeah, because the original meaning of the term, it was specifically uh, job related. It's like things you have to do, such as, you know, if you're like a cashier, you got to constantly be cheery for like 10 hours on your feet so that people don't complain about you. So it it was a very like uh, occupational related term. Um, And there was another article on a Harper's Bazaar by... um, uh, Gemma Hartley, which I think it, it walked out border of of becoming because like the way she writes, she, uh, she's like, I had to perform the emotional labor of arranging for like a cleaning lady, <laughs> which is a little, yeah, yeah I, you know,
0: um, I didn't think any of that was emotional labor, personally, that that's what I had in mind when I say like, you got to like you, this is a sign that you need to have a discussion with your partner and like re get on the same page about what you guys expect from each other. Um, but that's not emotional labor.
1: I do understand, though. I mean, yeah, there, I, there can be really bad cases of it. I think probably one of the worst instances is in which you care too much about something that you really shouldn't, especially when it is laden with like class privilege and everything. Like, like if you, if you have like really neat freaky about certain the way your house looks, and you're angry that other people aren't as neat freaky as you, you know, that's kind of bullshit. But I do think there are things that might uh, on the surface seem uh, inconsequential but if you like fail to live up to it it has really big uh, consequences like especially socially i think women um face that a lot especially with regards to children um so if they don't like uh keep up appearances or do certain things um you know in a school environment for example they'll be uh, regarded as a bad mother and you know being a bad parent definitely um uh, hurts uh like women's reputation much more than the men so even outside the occupation, just like if you are talking about just like your social reputation, that is something I think is, I think qualifies as emotional labor. Uh So um, transition to Asian-Americans, I, I think the way to look at Asian-Americans is like, what's our what's like the social role that we are performing uh with respect to all these things we're going to talk about, which uh, we'll we'll call emotional labor Um so uh, in my way, uh, the, the role of the, the Asian American uh, in like American society, society as a racial group is to basically assuage white guilt. We are the group that uh, the white people, especially white liberals, can look to. And as they accept guilt and blame from, like you know, especially black Americans, but also Latino Americans and, you know, more recently, even like Muslim Americans, um, they can look to us still and say, oh, you know. But we did such a good job with these people. We, uh, we took them in and they're doing so well. We're even marrying them or well, at least one, one gender of them. So that is the role that we have to upkeep. So with this episode, I want to focus more on our personal stories as opposed to, you know, like analyzing it more from an intellectual point of view. So, yeah, who wants to go first? Uh, I got one. Um, let's see. Let's see. I'm trying to think
0: about how I tell the story without uh, giving away. So I oh whoever's I, listening
1: might know. <laughs>
0: I don't know who does. Um, so I, I used to work as a clinical research coordinator, and um, the primary investigator I worked for had um, a pretty. He didn't have the best reputation. He wasn't the nicest person, let's say. And it was it was interesting in the way that um, you know he would berate all the employees. But there was one guy in particular who was, who was really nice. And and part of that could just be his personality. Uh, but he would, this guy would, let's call him, um, Michael. Michael would take a lot of shit from the investigator, you know, like just straight up yelling. It's, it's full on verbal abuse. Uh, and it, it was interesting because other employees would talk back and be like, no, doctor, I'm like, that's not okay. You know, and, he would he would accept that but when david would push back you know he would i don't know it's just like i can't really confirm it but it was just this kind of weird thing where um he would put more pressure on on michael uh if he would try and like stand up for himself you know just to make sure that michael understood that he wasn't going to take uh, that the the doctor wasn't going to take any pushback from him and um, and then for me personally, I I am somebody who will speak my mind. And if I see something wrong, I'll say something. And um, I think like I voiced my objection once or twice. And then the next review I had, he just started off the conversation with like, oh, you're a really contentious person, aren't you? And uh, I thought like, I mean, I guess you could think of it that way, but I thought that I was just stating my opinion and my judgment as to whether I thought something was a good decision or not, you know? Um, and I think I, I felt that there was a greater expectation on us to just quietly do our work and just do as we were told. I mean, there was even a moment where I picked up the phone. He thought that I was Michael. He just, he just like, it was, there was no hello. There was, it was just straight up. As soon as I picked up the phone, said the introduction, I got, I want you to call like so-and-so pharmacy. They didn't fill out this prescription. I want you to do it now. Like just straight up yelling at me. And I told him like, yeah, I was like, doctor, I don't know who you think you're talking to right now. I'm going to hang up the phone. Let's, why don't you call me back and let's try this again. And, uh, and he apologized to me on the next call. But I like, I remember thinking like who, who the hell even thinks that's remotely acceptable.
1: Uh, stepping out of the workplace for a moment, uh, at, at the household level, have any of you guys ever experienced, especially when you're younger, having to be like translators or even like the, like the face of your family when when you're out in public and you're interacting with, uh, you know, like other English speakers?
2: My parents wanted me to leave, uh, like record the answering machine message when I was, like, eight years old. And I was like, why? I don't want to do it. But I think it was just because I spoke, like, Americanized English. I had to do it, like, five times to get the tones just right and to, like, to, you know, sound very upbeat and chipper. <laughs> now, that's emotional standards.
1: labor right there. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> well, what about you, Jess?
3: Uh No. Um. Uh, my parents came uh to the States... Um, As grad students um, in the late seventies, so they already came fluent in English. Um, So uh, when I happened, you know, a decade later, uh, they were they were pretty like well assimilated, I I suppose, in terms of like understanding the culture, you know, how to how to handle themselves in stores, how to you know, and obviously they were fluent, you know, even more fluent in English by the time I uh was growing up. So, um yeah, no, I never I never really had that uh that particular role to play in the family.
1: What about you, Jung? Did you have to do that?
0: Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. It it was actually um it bothered me because they would take me more seriously than my mom. Like I would ju- you know, like I'd just be standing there and this is I don't know. I was a kid. So, I wasn't even paying attention to what this is about. Um but if it like involved money, I don't know, I guess, uh, maybe it was a combination of the fact that my dad wasn't around, so I kind of ended up taking the role of, like, man of the house and and all that shit. But, um, yeah, but, like, people, like, like salespeople or managers would kind of, like, always glance at me, just to make sure that I was on the same page and, like, that I'm paying attention. Sort of like a, you know what's going on just in case she doesn't, right? And, um... Yeah, and it bothered me a lot because my mom's so smart. Like, she knows what's going on. She doesn't need me. Um, there are certainly times where, I'll, you know, like, for the sake of accuracy, you know, I'll she'll ask me for help. And then that's when I'll help. But
1: Jung, you talked about the anger you felt at the outside world uh, for, you know, not taking a parent seriously. But uh, I want to focus on uh, the anger that also gets directed at your parents for being unable to because, navigate this world. And, um, I think especially when you're younger and, and you need your parents to be those figures, uh, to guide you. But when they're the ones asking you for what is, you know, uh, pretty basic help, whether it's just like interacting with, uh, whoever, um, you know, through English or, or even like just like look, looking stuff on the internet. I remember doing that a lot, uh, as, uh, as a kid. And it does build up some resentment, especially, um, as I guess the uh, time goes on and, and you see your parents uh, spending, like the, the time that your parents have spent in like America or Canada or Australia or a- anywhere, you know, outside of Asia, uh, is getting, has gotten longer. And yet, if you still don't see them, uh, able to, um, you know, f- become comfortable in their world, um, you, you start to resent that, especially if you're going through certain troubles of your own, you know, just like fitting in or, or finding your own place. Uh, and you, you might look at your parents and think, um, you know, if, if you had fit in better, that would have helped me too. But instead, I'm having to, uh, you know, spend all this time and energy, uh, just doing what are, you know, what even I who, you know, whether you're 10, 15, or, you know, even 20, um, what I'm able to do, why can't you do it? Right. And, I think that is a source of a lot of uh, built-up resentment uh, and anger that never gets. For I think for a lot of Asian Americans has has not gotten resolved. It's like a form of res- I mean, like it's. I,
0: I get what you're talking about because you know it's a, it's a familiar feeling to me. Um, for I don't know if it was anger necessarily for me, but like a but it was a resentment for sure. In that I felt like other kids, they were given. A playbook you know they were given they were given like the documentation on society and they knew where all the answers were they already knew the patterns and what to look for uh whereas like i was showing up um like completely unprepared for the test every time i don't yeah it's like i don't know i was cognizant enough to understand that it wasn't their fault but i certainly resented not having that opportunity you know, like, there were definitely times where I was like, man, I wish I had an older sibling that had kind of gone through this and, um, could have given me some pointers and shown me the ropes. Or conversely, like, if I had it, if I had a younger sibling, like, that sibling would have had a much easier time, um, getting through certainly the school. I mean, depending on our age difference, you know, but, um, I, I like to think, you know, I could have told them, like, this is the deal with college. This is what's important. This is what you need to look out for, you know, like, um, yeah, just anyway.
1: Uh, just does this all sound very foreign to you? Because you said your parents were were fluent when they came.
3: Um. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, that's just hasn't been my experience. Um. I guess in in like comparing with other families that I did grow up with. Um. Uh, I can. I didn't really understand what I was seeing at the time, but in retrospect, it's. Um, it's kind of an inversion to some degree of the typical parent-child relationship, right? Like, you as the child are supposed, to be, are supposed to be the one that's totally, like, clueless and, you know, you're the one who has to be taught the ropes, you know, the, your parents are there to give you all the guidance and give you all the tools you need. Um, so in some sense, like, this is, um, this is an inversion of that. Um, so it has, I, I can see how it erodes trust in that parental relationship um and also how it kind of breeds a sense of isolation right like who else do you have to fall back on right if you can't even like yeah like but (laughs) it's uh but if you can't like rely on your parents like you know for some and, and i'm not saying like they were like mine weren't were like totally with it either right like they like there were some things i remember like they just were clueless about um you know like like school dances they just had no (laughs) clue how to understand what was going on there um but in terms of like the overall picture right i never had to like sit there and like translate you know anything from my mom um uh so she was definitely the one to, to 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 like she was the one who navigated me through life
1: i was gonna say uh with respect to the school dance that may be preferable though to the other extreme when you have parents who think they know too much and then they try to get too involved uh in, in things like that. That's that's a nightmare.
2: Yeah, I was going to say like it gave I feel like it gave me a lot of freedom that other kids didn't have. Like, even when I um, was older, you know, like, going to college and in relation, like, like, figuring out relationships and stuff, it's, like, they couldn't necessarily guide me. But at the same time, I wasn't burdened with any of their issues either. Like, they just didn't give, it's just, like, no guidance. It was That's just, true. like, a free-for-all for me, like, my entire life.
3: Yeah. I mean... And I guess the one thing that I do treasure, like, in my relationship with my parents is that um, because they had gone, you know, uh, they came fluent in English and they came as grad students and kind of went through, you know, life in the States, Um, but they were very connected to, you know, being Korean, um, tied to a strong Asian community because we moved to Arcadia pretty quickly after uh, they became settled uh, in their lives. Um, the one thing that I really like is that they knew enough of both sides of the aisle to make fun of
1: everybody, <laughs> <laughs>
3: right? <laughs> all right,
1: all right. Can, can you give us an example? Um, uh,
3: I, I let's see. Or,
1: when you remember one, you can come back to it. Yeah,
3: sure. But it's it's just like 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 my favorite memories of my parents would be like them sitting around the dining table, like completely taking a dump on like you know the ridiculousness of like their white you know academic peers right like i remember my dad like like dancing around like imitating like white people trying to dance <laughs> uh, like it was it's it was like um so it's just like being keyed into both kind of like set the stage for like a little bit more critical thinking like it's not like i was expected to completely buy into whiteness or something uh this wasn't the gold standard the gold standard was very much like you take a Good look at everything and kind of form your own pathway through all that um but uh, like we laughed, we just took a dump on everybody it was it was great um, I really related to uh Ali Wong's bit about uh her <laughs> and her husband just Wait, getting...
1: so your your mom was Ali Wong. that's like the coolest mom you could have uh,
3: yeah um uh, she was she was a cool mom. I don't think I gave her enough credit for it at the time, but uh she was a gangster. <laughs> Uh, look, looking back, like I, there's no way I could, I could do like all the things that, you know, she was just doing as a matter of course. Um, like when she was my age, for example.
1: Yeah. See, like I, like I, I wish like my parents were like that because my parents, it was like uh, with other people, it was always like a, it's like fear. That's the that's the uh, um sense I always got. Um, it was either like fear uh, manifesting in just a complete avoidance of pretty much almost like all groups or, um, kind of, uh, like, like this, uh, like they like almost like saw racism everywhere. Um, when, when I say my parents is mainly my mom. <laughs> uh, it's, it's like, you know, if, if like somebody, um, doesn't give her like the correct change in, in, uh, in a, a grocery store, oh, that, that, that's because, you know, she, she was Asian or something. And, and that fear, um, as you're growing up and you're like okay my parents um need me to do all this uh they they see racism everywhere or that's what i thought especially when you're younger because you want to really believe in that like post-racial bullshit and and that also like contributes to just like more resentment like why are you afraid all the time you know like um and because that also has an effect on you because then that that starts affecting your mind and you start seeing things everywhere and and you wish that oh maybe if my parents were stronger they were more like uh ali wong and just like talking shit about everyone maybe i could have been like that too so there's that and i I remember like one distinct way that this uh like resentment manifested itself was like my parents always spoke korean in the home um and my mom was always adamant that i i speak it to her like that um but but obviously it's it's harder especially since uh, uh Uh, in in school and whatever you're always speaking English and back then you don't have a lot of access to like you know Korean media and and all that and and my always resentment was it's like why do I have to work so hard to learn this language when you don't even seem to be making an effort to learn English at all Um, so you know and plus she didn't work she was was a homemaker and I think that obviously had a big uh, impact on her ability to, to learn English but then again that adds to another resentment like Why aren't you working like the other moms, you know? Um, So, yeah, I I, I don't think my experience is that unique. And I do think that is where a lot of the just, like, buried uh, anger and resentment, especially that a lot of Asian Americans have towards their parents. I mean, I was able to resolve a lot of that um, because after my parents moved to Korea and I got to spend some time there and just got to see them more in their element, that helped a lot. But, I mean, if I you know, if they just stayed in Canada and it just, I, I really don't want to imagine what it would have ended up like. Cause I don't, I think, I don't know. I, I think that's how you end up with like our Asian parents stories. If, if you listeners don't know, it's a subreddit on Reddit where Asian kids just complain about their parents all the time in a very racialized way, which is the problem. Like kids can complain about parents all the time. No big deal. But the very racialized way they do it and often very ignorant is is a major problem.
3: It's interesting you you talk about um like that your mom was a homemaker. Um I actually grew up with the inverse situation. Um very few moms uh in my peer group uh worked. Um yeah, so you know, my resentment was like, you know, like Sally or whoever his mom like made these amazing cookies and showed up for the volleyball game while you were, you know.
1: Oh, really? Um, so
3: that was that was awkward. But like, n- n- like as an adult, um, uh, I look back and I think like, like that was a key experience for in for me that you know my mom was out there doing her thing, uh, forging her path and then kind of shared, you know, it-, it it helped me, um, like she was able to navigate me well into adulthood, right? Like if I'm writing an essay or like, you know crafting like a resume or something she was the one who'd always be there the first person to take a look and be like you might want to rephrase that if this is the kind of role you want blah 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 so like yeah so like you know she was my first and like pretty much my last career like counselor right um but it's uh but the trade-off is like she wasn't she wasn't home a lot you know um so all of this accomplishment that I respect and her greatly did come at a cost and that is you know sacrificing uh some home life um into it but I also think she's a lot happier for it uh in the long run like I think a lot of my friends who do have homemaker parents especially moms um it got a little tense uh, I feel like the culture gap widens as these kids who are second generation move into adulthood and that then they just completely have to leave their parents behind in a very uh traumatic sense. Like there's just literally at some point like there's just nothing to talk to them about. Yeah,
1: and the problem with being like a stay-at-home parent, especially as an immigrant, is that your whole world, even more so than I think the typical uh stay-at-home American parent of any race, um because your whole conception of self like what I've sacrificed and what is basically my life's accomplishment becomes so much about uh, like others, especially the kid, but it can also be about your spouse, um, and whatever. But you do lose. It's mostly on the kids. yeah. It's mostly on the kids.
3: It's mostly on the kids. So I f- I feel very lucky to have escaped some of that. Like my parents both had their own thing going, so I kind of I never really felt the pressure. Like I'm the firstborn, blah blah blah. Uh, but I'm not, I'm not, like, the first in my family at anything, right? Like, I don't have, like, first in my family to go to college, first in my family to go to grad school. Like, I i don't even have, like, a, my parents both have PhDs. I don't have a terminal degree, you know? Like, so I'm kind of, like, failing the family at the moment. Um, but, like, I never had the pressure of, like, like like spearheading some, like, charge over the hill for my parents. Like, they kind of did that all. Um, and I'm kind of, like, regressing back to some mean. um so, like, I guess, I guess that's also a benefit of, uh, just, I feel like I had a childhood, uh, in a sense that I don't see from a lot of other, uh, like, second generation people who speak up about their upbringings. Um, like, I felt very much like, like, uh, like I was the immature bratty child who was getting dragged kicking and screaming into, you know, a productive place in society. Right. I never once like felt like I was in charge of or had to take care of my parents. Um, and I will say it like a, a, a friend of mine uh, that I got close to in high school. Um, also, um, uh, I, I like there was a moment when I could see like like just how painful that situation was. So my friend, uh, uh, we were hanging out at uh, her family's dry cleaners after school. Um, and, you know, we were hanging out there because she had to work. Like, after school, she would have to go and man the register and do, you know, client interfacing for, you know, the dry cleaners until closing time. Um, and I remember, like, her parents didn't speak English at all. Um, and I remember, like, a client, like, a client came in, customer came in, and he was angry about something. I forget what, but he was angry. Um, and, you know, it was really... I ended up leaving because I just couldn't I couldn't like sit there and see it because I saw how much pain she was in. Uh the pain for her was watching her immigrant dad um like just getting reamed by this white customer screaming in his face, right? And seeing like dad almost kind of like having to supplicate um while she's seeing this this awful like racialized, you know, uh class divided interact like like it's a hostile situation and she has to stand there and run interference between both of these right um when in a when in like a normal parent-child template like the parent would be running that interference like she wouldn't have she would be shielded whereas she's like right there on the front line
1: yeah asian americans already have this great anxiety and and like fear of abandonment because we don't know where we belong and when your parents can't provide you with that security, you, you get angry at them. You, you know, even, even though it's, it's not really their fault. Uh, and I, I remember one of my favorite things to, to see in Korea was, was how my parents would get, would get so easily angry at uh, others, like in public, whether, you know, they're like route drivers or, or pedestrians. Um, and, and they just be like, yes, yeah, you know, <laughs> whereas in Canada, they had to bottle it all up inside and just take it uh, again and again and and you feel bad for them but you know at the same time you're thinking come on mom and dad you know stick up for yourself and and for me right um yeah anyway anyway, diana i want to hear more about what it was like growing up in nebraska because it must have been such a different world than you know where the three of us came from
2: yeah it was uh i mean i wasn't always in nebraska like um my my dad was in graduate school at first. So we moved from like, um, like Boston to Ohio to South Carolina and then to and then to Nebraska. So I think there was like just kind of how, a lot. How
1: old were you when you moved to Nebraska? Uh,
2: I was eight. I moved to the US okay. when I was five. So my conception of like like existence was just like you would I would do stuff for like a year and then leave and there'd be like no consequences no people (laughs) following me you know (laughs) so (laughs) you
1: could have learned some very bad lessons from that
2: yeah yeah like it wasn't until maybe college when I was like oh I can like continue to keep up with my high school friends this is great (laughs) um But yeah, like most of the places where we were, they were, there were not a lot of Asians there. And even the people who were there, like my parents didn't really have that much in common with them. They were kind of like an older generation because they were like um, usually in uh, university towns and um, like they had already been professors in China but then when they came to the U.S., they had to, like, go back to school. And a lot of the people who were in their, uh, you know, universities that they knew who were also Asian were, like, much younger and just, like, had a different perspective than them. And, like, they they feel like, like, we've been through shit. You haven't been through shit. And, like, me, like, our my generation especially hasn't been through anything. So they have this, like, kind of... Um, like uh superiority complex in addition to their inferiority complex of just like being immigrants and not knowing what's going on and seeing that kind of um uh play out it's just like you know my dad if if he encounters something racist he'll at first be you know like try to hold it in but (laughs) usually he'll just like get really mad and like yell at somebody in their face
1: (laughs) yeah that's good like to let it out yeah Yeah.
2: (laughs) like it it used to stress me out because i'm like oh my god you know conflict but you know as an adult i'm like yeah that's fucking badass you know (laughs) like those people need to be reamed and sometimes, like, like I'll still travel with them, and when I go home, I'll I call my mom, you know, uh, write emails and stuff. And I've always kind of liked that, because <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'll see the situation where, you know, somebody's being shitty to my parents while we're traveling, and I'll just step in and be like, yo stop it (laughs) and that feels good to me. Step off man. Yeah and then when I you know when my dad is upset I'm like I'll take care of this you know and I think that makes me feel more empowered as a person. Um, It does make me like I feel like the main emotional like labor that I have to do is to just like hold back my own like resentment of the system but I I never really like put it on my parents.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good way to transition to talking uh, about the system, because um, uh, like uh, what we've been talking about, this is when we're younger and we're in the house, and, and the household uh, dominates our our world. But as we move towards adulthood, we we move out of the house, and, and we're dealing with friends, and bosses, professors, etc. And I think a lot of Asian Americans, uh, this like encounter with the system hits them when, when they get to college, especially when uh, when you're not living at home anymore. Uh, because now you're direct, dealing more directly uh, with the system because the the house isn't there to act as a buffer. And I think this is where the, the gender gap in experiences between Asian American men and women it widens. Uh, because as an Asian guy, there are certain things you will see and experience that you feel you cannot speak up about. Because as I said in the beginning, our racial role is to provide racial peace. Our figurative white mom and white dad are dealing with enough burdens from other minorities. So... We, we are not supposed to add to that. We're not supposed to be the, the troublesome child that adds to that. Or you, you know, we'll get disowned maybe. So I think that's why a lot of Asian guys either just become what, what we might call Chan, just like the, the you know, the kind of guy who just like puts himself down, you know, to, to make everybody laugh at him slash with him, but really at him, or they just withdraw altogether because they can't put up with that shit. Yeah. I mean, Zhang, did, did you experience any of that? Uh,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. I, have definitely checked out before uh like well that that first job i was talking about i definitely withdrew uh socially and emotionally in that job yeah i'd show up do my job um i didn't talk i didn't really talk to anybody else i didn't i wasn't there a minute longer than i had to be there's definitely there's definitely workplaces where i have felt comfortable um
1: Oh, but, like, uh, let's move out of the workplace, because I, I want to focus more oh, on just, like, social just, settings. just, like,
0: you're talking about, like, high school or college? Oh, right. yeah, college, at, just, like... Act make... two of the podcast? <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: because for me, as an Asian guy, I knew there were certain stereotypes hanging over my head, uh, one of them being that, you know, unless proven otherwise, I was quiet and boring, so I felt this pressure to always be more outgoing than I wanted to be, e- even though generally, I don't, you know, I don't like to talk a ton unless I feel like I have stuff worth saying, but... But still, I felt like I had to put up this almost like manic front, as if I were like hopped up on something. Because if I didn't speak up, people, uh, would have thought, oh, he's just this quiet Asian guy, totally irrelevant and not worth knowing. But, but even when I did put all this effort in, I'd, I'd still be invisible. I, I remember this one English seminar. I was, uh, where in every class I made this uh, extra effort to say stuff because, I mean, a, a lot of the grade was based on participation. You know, so I went to class, I always raise my hand, try to say, you know, insightful and, you know, hey, sometimes even witty things. And guess what? At the end of the class, uh, one of my classmates uh, says to me, I think I ran into him at a party or something. He's like, oh, you're so quiet in class. And like, Well, that's probably because, you know, I didn't even register on your fucking radar. And, you know, I know women say this uh, happens to them a lot. Like, they'll say something, but then nobody remembers them saying it. And then, like, a a man says it later. uh, And then everyone's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. "Yeah, good idea, Greg, or or whatever. Yeah, that
2: happens to me. And,
1: and, you know, this happens again and again, but you feel like you can't say anything because you don't want to upset people. And nobody likes Asians who complain. Yeah, it was... uh, I've definitely run into that because...
0: I am not. um, I'm in. I like. If I'm new to a social situation, I'm quiet and I'm kind of observant and Mm -hmm. I just kind of like feel out the room, see what people are like, right? And then I jump in. Uh, But generally speaking, I am a pretty loud person and a pretty vocal person. Um, And uh, people are often and and like particularly in high school and college, I was the kid that other parents were worried about. Like, why people like.
1: Cause I was up to no good,
0: man. I wasn't like, you do ride a
1: motorcycle. So, you know, you're still, I mean, I
0: I, just, yeah, (laughs) just like, you know, I was never a violent person, but I liked, uh, I liked living on the fringe. Let's say I like, uh, there's always kind of interesting things down alleyways and around weird corners, you know? Yeah. And, um, and so when people get to know me and they like hear about what I'm up to and stuff, they're often really kind of uh, like sometimes even shocked, you know, they're like, I had no idea that you'd be up to this. Like sometimes they, you know, throw a positive descriptor and they're like, Oh, like you're way cooler than I thought or whatever, you know? Um, yeah. yeah, And I'm just like, okay, well, I don't know what you thought I was doing before, but this is what I'm about. Um, and uh, I, I don't know. I didn't think much of it. In fact, like, It was only until I heard it like the sec, like the sixth time or something like that, where I was like, huh, people really say that a lot. Like, do I just keep, do I just play all the cards really close to my chest or what? And, um, I don't really think so, though. I think, uh, I wear my emotions and my thoughts on my sleeve. You know, like I, I don't really calculate my presentation much. Um, I think people just saw me and. Maybe just off that initial kind of like, oh, he didn't really say anything, you know? In the first five minutes, he must be quiet and just went with that.
1: Um, oh, uh, Jess and Diana, I, I'm really curious about, like, Asian women's experience with this. But before all that, I, I do want to say, you know lately it's, it's the cool thing to be an introvert and, you know, everybody's an introvert, even though statistically that's not possible. I mean, assuming that these, like, personality tests uh, are, you know, correct. Um, but... If you haven't spent like 75% of your life hating the fact that you may be an introvert and you've had to deal with that dreaded, oh, why are you so quiet? Or, oh, I feel like you haven't said anything in like the last hour or whatever from other people when you're like hanging out. If you've never had to deal with that, you are not an introvert, you fucking poser.
0: <laughs> Dude, the best day I'm like one of the best days of my life or like one of the most like freeing days of my life. Was the life that I decided, like I came to terms, like I don't have to have fun in a bar, like I don't have to enjoy this. It felt so good. I was actually in a club, and I was, it was anyway. Anyway, that's a different story. But um, I feel you.
3: I'm picturing like like a slow shot. Like suddenly the lights dim, bass, the music stops. John just puts down his arms and is like, "Fuck you all." I'm yeah, leaving. I took
0: I down I I down the rest of my drink. I left the club, there was a beach outside, people were playing soccer, I was like, fuck yeah, this is my jam. And then I walked up to them and I started playing. It was it was great, I had way more fun. That
1: sounds so much more fun. Especially if it was night, wait, was, was it yeah, night? Yeah, it was four, four in the morning in, like, uh, Barcelona. Man, like, like That's awesome. twilight soccer oh, on the beach, that sounds so cool. It was.
3: Yeah, this is like a scene in a movie. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs>
1: Yeah, but anyway, uh, Jess and Diana, like, like, mm-hmm. what's it like for Asian women, um, in terms of those types of stereotypes and not being able to talk about them and feeling like you have to either defy it or whatever?
2: I think I always had a hard time with like, do I want to defy it or go with it? And also, it's like, is that even a conscious choice? And also, is that a choice I can even make for myself because? I don't know if it's like being a woman or being uh, Asian or both, but like, you know, you you would assume you get like just more of the quiet, like, docile stereotype, and like, I I do feel like people always peg me as that if um they they interact with me a little bit, and then when I perform, they. Are like oh my god, like they're actually interesting. <laughs> I don't know. I have this thing where like, so like if I am just around, you know, and this is not all the time. Like I've you know have friends who are pretty cool, um, but like there are, there's a lot of people who if I'm just like making conversation and making jokes within the conversation, they'll just be like, oh, oh. Oh, oh! I get it. You're, you're, you're telling a joke. Oh, okay. Ha, 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 ha! That was funny. And like,
1: no, they're, they're like, oh, I didn't know the Nexus Seven models made jokes.
2: It's kind of disconcerting because you're like, am I like really not funny? But like, I that yeah. <laughs> they're just like, oh my yeah! Like they have no concept of like a person who looks like me being funny or like being capable of humor period and like it I've noticed this a lot um like before a show like if I'm talking with people who I don't know they'll be pretty cold or like pretty you know like um just uh polite But then after they see me, they're like way nicer because they have seen my personality or the fact that I am capable of having a personality. And it's just like, it's like night and day. And I'm just like, I know they're not doing it on purpose, but it's just really annoying. Yeah,
1: because like the default Asian American is irrelevant. You have to prove your worth. Um, Yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, and another thing is, um, like, you know how you were talking about Asians, like, fitting a certain, like, uh, placation role? Like, in the past, when I've tried to talk to people about racism, they they wouldn't bring that up. They would just say, like, yeah, like, it sounds like you feel a certain way, but, like, we don't care about your issues because honestly, they're not that bad. It's like um, if you're not a refugee or if you're not facing death or like internment camps, it's just like this is a level of discomfort that you should just be fine with because other people have it worse. Yeah,
1: I mean, as I always say, everyone's problems are important, okay? If we were really uh trying to measure ourselves and like none of us can ever complain about anything because we're not Native American you know so everybody's uh problems like obviously you don't want to say only my problems matter but if people especially if like a whole group consistently has like these same experiences it's real and it deserves respect that's it no further need to justify it
3: it's 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 a silencing tactic right like Okay, like, if you are Asian, and you're standing up at, you know, a rally for, you know, to protest against, you know, police brutality, like, another case of police brutality, and you're like, Harvard is racist against Asians, right? Like, no, wrong time, wrong place, right? Like, that's not, but if you have your, if you're just saying that um in your own context and people like jump in to tell to silence you then that's just it that's just silencing you say, well black people are getting shot in the streets how dare you talk about harvard and like well i wasn't you know we these are kind of orthogonal to each other we're not trying to compete for the same turf here so like i would definitely say you know if you are bringing your issue to say you know a black lives matter rally um like you're stepping on someone else's turf and you're in the wrong there but if you are standing on your own two feet in your own context and you know stating what your case is and what how you feel uh what your what your issues are and people are just jumping on you then they're in the wrong there um so most of the time when i see this happen i feel like it's 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 a silencing tactic it's like well your problems aren't as bad dot 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 so you should never get to talk about it right they'll never cop yeah. to it it's just that every time you do say it no matter what they'll you'll always be it always be pushed back so you know logically speaking this just means you can never talk
1: about it it's like the the Walmart greeter nobody wants to hear the Walmart greeter complain we are there to
3: well it's if you ask someone, how are you? You know, statistically speaking, you know, like, 100% of the time, I've gotten an, I'm fine, how are you? I know that's a lie, right? But I am also not prepared for the unvarnished truth of that ans- that question, right? You know? So, it's just, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I mean, as far as, like, the stereotypes go, um, I, I've never felt the pressure of them um, to, like, explicitly... Um, I think this is just a function of my own obliviousness, um, to some degree. <laughs> um,
0: Do you think? Did you, you bumped up against them though, right? Like maybe, like you didn't have your behavior dictated or influenced by these stereotypes, but like you would just do your thing and you'd bump up against them.
3: You know, I can't, I can't really say that I have. And like in, in thinking about, you know, like Oxford, uh, you talking about your experience, you know, someone's like calling you out, like, why are you so quiet? You know, and then feeling that kind of racialized pressure. Um, I I can't ever say that in my life, anyone has ever said, you know, well, you're not like most Asians, like, no one's ever said that to me. Nobody's ever said that to me. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I've, I've traveled in a lot of different circles and a lot of different contexts, but no one has ever, like, told me that I'm I'm somehow different from the rest of all y'all. Uh, I don't know what that says about me, or... Yeah, and I think it's a function of the fact that maybe for Asian women, uh, we have a lot of, like, intersecting stereotypes, um, to be honest. Uh, the one that gets the most play because it's the sexiest is, you know, fetishization, um, uh, you know, like yellow fever, all of that. And it gets airplay because we're, we're talking about sex. Um, there's a flip side to that stereotype, one that I think I've probably like come up against and uh, probably worked in my favor, to be very honest. And that is of the asexual nerd, right? Uh, 'cause because the public imagination of Asian women is bifurcated. One, we have the the uh, the sex pot, right? Um, the you know, uh, sex objects. On the other hand, you have like faceless, uh, sexless drone workers who are just magically great at math. Um,
0: right.
2: So those I totally two agree with that. I've I've yeah. always felt like um like women are on this spectrum of like uh math asian or sex asian
1: <laughs> sex asian yeah. and
2: like growing up <laughs> like growing up i was good at math or like i was smart and like you heard it here for, first from-
3: folks math asian <laughs> sex asian all
1: right. Yeah. Ally <laughs> Wong, don't like don't a... steal that. If we see that in your next bit, we know that you stole it from Diana. Royalties.
2: No, this was actually a bit I was gonna try at some point, but I haven't like really uh sussed it out. But like when I was young, you know, like in my parents were like, Oh, we moved to like a more like white place, so you wouldn't have to try at school. <laughs> and it was like true. Like I didn't I didn't have to try. Like go to, go to corn and... country in Nebraska, yeah. and um my um my high school friend like I never dated or anything people just gave me a wide berth and I always felt like it was because they didn't like me it was like a race thing and then later somebody told me that oh like we all thought you were cute but you were also smart so we thought you were just gonna like go off and do your thing like like you're out of our league because you're smart it was so weird i was like what the fuck what like i just thought i was really really unattractive and unpopular i don't know it was weird but but like when i got to mit that was like the first time i felt really sexualized and i think it was just like like when everybody's a nerd you're no longer like a nerd you're just like more (laughs) you're just an asian woman you know what i mean
3: (laughs) um diana and i we share an alma mater so um yeah <laughs> i know what you mean <laughs> it's like you know
1: no, that's, a, that, no, that's a really good point about the kind of extreme uh, bifurcation of asian women into a uh, math asian and sex asian yeah and i think there's a there, there i think there are various conditions uh kind of like social uh codes you have to adopt if you want to i guess make the jump from like the sexless math asian to uh sex asian um And I think a lot of that goes involved. We're just using it as um, a
3: thing now. It's just gonna, it's just
0: gonna take <laughs> on a
1: life uh, you know, watch us watch like make this the thing that like makes us like blow up, like <laughs> puts us like <laughs> on the mainstream map. um And I and I and I think a big part of that social code is like making yourself available to white guys. uh That yeah. gives you a big jump into now you're human. Now you're like actually like fuckable, which unfortunately is what it's like one of the primary uh values placed on girls and women uh in our society is you know how fuckable you are and if you're gonna be like too asian then you're irrelevant you're almost as like irrelevant as your typical asian guy but now if you want to you know upgrade into like sexy asian you have to adopt certain behaviors and that means like partying but it's like partying with whom you know it's not just with like other rice boys or whatever um and I, I think uh, when we're talking about, like, uh, things that, that bother Asians but can't talk about you, uh, and especially for guys, you cannot ignore, you know, like, WMAF stuff because, like, you see it, like, everywhere around you. Um, it's, it's, like Whether it's in the media or if you, like, go to, like, a college campus, you're going to uh, see that. Uh, some even have it in their own family. Um, and it could be, like, kind of, like, messed up relationships. Um, but they grew up with it, so they never really knew... Uh, it was wrong, or oh, I mean like there were certain things wrong with it, uh, the dynamic, but then as they get older, they have to confront it or whatever. Um, and it's, I think it's just that inability to talk about it and this f- this idea that you have to be okay with this reality in which you're constantly being demeaned uh, uh, based on one of the most fundamental values that ev- everybody finds their self-worth in, which is like, Am I like lovable, basically? And to have it constantly denigrated, yet everyone telling you, uh, it's, it's either it's no big deal, uh, it, it's not happening or you deserve it. Any one of those three, it's going to mess you up. And I think that's for, for like the Asian male experience, gay or straight. I mean, gay guys go through this exact same thing. The inability to talk about it and having to, um, Act like it's okay because you don't want to disturb other people or hurt their egos or uh, the images they built up for themselves. I think that's 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 like such a core part of the Asian American male experience.
0: Yeah, i i have some i have i have heard some really fucked up things from behind the curtain, man. Uh, Care like, to share some of them? Ah, dude, I don't need. Yeah, I mean, like. <sighs> I don't know. Specific examples don't really come to mind. Um, I, uh, I remember this one time I um, showed interest in this Asian girl that was like uh, friends of a friend or something, you know, just one of those kinds of parties. And uh, I guess somebody saw me talking to her. And so later came up and just like com- completely unsolicited was telling me about how she's a slut and she's like sucked dicks of like 10 people in this room and they make her do like they had a party where they like made her do thing, you know, like ordered her around and shit. And I like, I was just totally shocked by like, first I was like, wh- like who even asked you <laughs> to what the fuck three? Like really what the fuck? And Um, and I, I like, I didn't have an answer at that time. I could honestly, like, I didn't know what the hell to say to him. Um, but it, it, but it wasn't like, it was just a representative of like how disposable they saw. And And to be fair, these guys were probably assholes. They were, you know, these guys were assholes to probably all girls, not just Asian girls. But there was like, there was like definitely a sort of like. Disposableness of Asian girls. I don't know if it was because there was like a certain fear of like American girls, their parents would know the legal system or like would have they you know their parents had power. Another no, for real. Whereas like some girls, you know, their parents don't speak English. Like let's say she went back home. Like there were. It's just a a, a more vulnerable population. I don't know. There's some fucked up shit there. That's like really. I don't want to say more than that. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, I, I can, like, whenever I, I mean, like, you know, especially in like college, you, you end up having to hang out with, like, friends of friends that you don't really like, but uh, something that does happen um is whenever you're hanging out with just these kind of, like, douchey, um, like, uh you know, usually white, but, you know, any non-Asian guys, and they start telling stories. inevitably, they start telling stories about, like, some kind of, like, desperate Asian girl that they just regard with total contempt, but... Um, she, uh, you know, still like wants their approval and, and and stuff like that. And, and, and at that situation, like if, if you speak out, then you just become, uh, I don't know, some like mate guarding, bitter Asian loser who, who, you know, whatever. You, you, and you're stuck in this total no win situation. You just got to have to like, and you, and that's the situation you uh, often find find yourself in and and as you can't talk about it uh, even with like other Asians like you, um, yeah so that just
3: i mean we can we don't have to like there's almost no need to talk about like individual like specific instances um we can actually trace this and i think it was uh i, I think this is the overarching uh point of this pod even um uh, like we we talk through you know issues that we as second generation asian americans face in growing up Right, alienation from our own parents, from you know our home cultures, kind of being thrown like headfirst into this hostile ter- terrain to navigate it largely on our own. Um, I know my experience has been a little different, but I, I this I'm kind of like distilling what a lot of what I've been hearing. Um, you grow up kind of alienated from everything yourself, your your parents, your own culture. You know, you're not really quite a part of American culture yet. Um, you know, you, if you rely on media, uh, then there's this glowing portrayal of, you know, this one particular racial group that seems to have its shit together and has the keys to the kingdom. Uh, I mean, we can talk about that later, but like, I remember the shows that I grew up with, right? I didn't really watch much TV, but like, you just know about them, right? Everything on the CW network, for example, right? Like all the happy white families kind of, you know, being happy together, being connected, um all all of that i can imagine a scenario where people like grow up watching that um and then fantasize about a certain um type of relationship that could offer that kind of security and comfort and acceptance um that everything that they'd been lacking and i can see how in like your formative adult years wanting that so bad can lead you to end up selling yourself out um giving up too much of yourself in pursuit of some like abstract goal. Um, so I think, you know, that, you know, I think roughly speaking, this is the psychological, you know, evolution of, you know, of some sad behavior uh, that we do see out there. Um, and I can see how the, 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 terrain is ripe for that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, there's nothing else to be said about that, except that it's sad and it's not so much a call out it's uh it's asking people to be to it's tough and it's really it's really painful uh to really think that deeply about yourself your own history your you know the baggage you're bringing into it um but without that then you fall you you are leaving yourself wide open to do some truly unhealthy things for yourself like forget about what it means like 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 forget about what it means for like your race or your people or your whoever right like just for yourself it's harmful um and that's and that's uh the ultimate harm i would i would say like you've gained nothing by doing this
1: yeah yeah that that was really well said yeah
2: i think that when i was when you were talking about how there's so many more rules um i think like when it when, when the expectations are codified, like, so rigidly, though, it almost makes it easier and less emotionally labor-intensive. Because for mm. me, the hardest thing to deal with is the in-between, like, the gray area. Like, is it racist? Is it not racist? Like, what should I do? There's so many different choices. And to have that just be, like, completely transactional, like, all you gotta do is, like, go to the neighbor's house with a like a like a tin of brownies and then you're you're good like you're in the community like that would be so much easier for me than what i had (laughs) to deal with
1: and it's precisely the uh i mean the emotional labor is is not being able to talk about that gray area right that's 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 like the social compact that asian americans have made with with the rest of america it's like um you know thank you for not nuking us i guess again. um in again. return <laughs> oh yeah again again <laughs> and in return um other well, there's also the, the napalm i guess in between that um but you know in and in exchange we will like shut the fuck up that's the deal and, and, then, fuck, and then the and
0: imf I... in between that
1: <laughs> and we are here to say it's s- a w-
3: tough one because it's a deal our parents made for us mm-hmm. um like, all of us here today, we're here because our parents, you know, in their youth, probably, you know, roughly around the age that we are at now, right? Um, set in their home countries and we're like, yeah, we're out.
1: Yeah, or but even we're, younger. We're striking yeah, out. Younger.
3: Um, right. Yeah, my, Yeah. I guess for my parents, yeah, much younger. Um, uh, so they made that choice for us. So it puts us in a tricky situation, right? Yeah. Um, there is a sense of guilt that our like our parents who made this decision to come to this country willingly like not like everyone who get who came here came here by choice uh of you know of our population at least um and so it's it feels i can see the psychological burden of like pushing back on that as kind of pushing back on like the whole like impetus behind your own existence right like what does it mean when you look at your parents and you're like yeah America fucking blows right um so i like it just puts us in a, in a tricky spot in understanding where the line is in you know what is appropriate to be able to say uh, what can you say um what are you justified in saying um and i also feel like part like that just shouldn't matter like if if you are feeling it um it's valid as an emotion, uh, as a feeling you have. Uh, and th- But the only way you're actually going to be able to get a sense for its scale and its meaning is by talking to other people about it. If, you, if it stays bottled up, like, it has nowhere to go. You can't really get to the heart of it. You can't really work through it. It's just kind of trapped in there. And it'll kind of just take on a life of its own and eat away at you. Um, so it just takes a lot of people being upfront about, you know, what, you know... What their experience has been like, and you can hear someone else's story and be like, "Oh shit, yeah, my mine really wasn't as bad as I thought," or "Oh holy shit, this was fucked up," or you know, it, it, at the very least, it's like, "Huh, there's something similar in all of these stories that's going on, despite our very different backgrounds." And that's this is, you know, I think it's just personal. Doesn't really have to translate to an action item, but I think it's just personally meaningful to know that somebody who grew up, you know, on the other side of the country. Uh, In a whole different set of circumstances, like there's still something we can talk about. Um, I don't know where, it, I, like maybe that translates into some action. I don't know. But at the very least, we're not used to talking to each other, I think.
0: Yeah. And, and to add on to that, I think uh, I find sometimes, you know, when I like, you know, amongst people I know in real life, I'll suggest like, hey, why don't you talk about it? And sometimes they'll say like, oh, I don't know how to talk about it or I don't know really what I'd say or. Um, and my my suggestion is like look just talk about it because it might like it's cool if it takes three or four times it'll start to piece together as you continue to have these discussions um and uh, you can come up with a more coherent story or narrative that way as well or yeah and i think
3: it, there's a special dimension to male isolation too because talking about this this is kind of a It goes against the grain for a lot of embedded, entrenched, uh, like, stereotypes of masculinity, right? Um, Like, there is a crisis of mental health among men in general, young men in particular. We're seeing the social effects of this, um, but, like, there is definitely a burden that's placed on men to kind of be stoic, uh, to not talk about it, right? To kind of, like, lift your way through your, you know, your struggles, right? Take it out on some iron at the gym or something, right? Like, you'll be fine, bro. Um, yeah, just like, drink a beer, man. <laughs> I, or I just really like, you know, how many grams of protein do you eat a day? Like, maybe you should up that some. Eat some more eggs. You'll be <laughs> fine.
1: Um, What's a disease you can get with, like, like overdosing on protein? Um, I don't know, but, but it, your farts can be really bad. Oh, uh, I hate bathroom <laughs> that, humor, like, that's John. That's, enough, that's, dude. Not gonna,
3: that's, that's not gonna. That's not going to help you with the ladies, man. Is, isn't
1: no, it, like, really bad for your kidneys as well? Um, yeah. Yeah. You can get all sorts of diseases your, like, kidneys can't, like, absorb protein and and stuff. Anyway, go on.
3: (laughs) Yeah, so, like, so, I mean, I'm speaking as a woman, but, like, um, when we, I I have seen, like, Asian guys kind of drop out of society for a little while. Like, a lot of my friends that I grew up with in high school, like, I had a predominantly Asian group. Um, I did notice, like, for a lot of, a long time, like, early 20s, maybe until we finished, like, professional training, kind of got to be adults, um, like, a lot of them, I just, they just kind of dropped out of life. Uh, I didn't hear from them for years. Um, some of them slowly made their way back. Some, I just, I still haven't heard from them again. Uh, I mean, and I remember us girls kind of talking about it and feeling like this was a little strange. Um, so, I don't know if that, if I don't know if that ties into anything you guys have been talking about, but it just makes just makes. Well, me I mean, I, I talked
1: about it earlier where I said, um, where guys just can't put up with, the, like, the bullshit. Um, and, and like like you know they can't they can't continue ignoring it or playing into it, um. So they just opt out, and um, at best they might find some like Asian only like social group that at least insulates from from that. Or they'll just, or if they can't even find acceptance there, they'll just you know completely drop off the map.
3: Whereas for girls, there's kind of, like, at least when I was going, like, I grew up, I kind of went to college in the shadow of, like, the, of sex in the city, right? Um, and I think that that bled into a lot of what was expected of female bonding, which is kind of this, like, hyper, like, I I know how it sounds, but I, I am going to use the word hysterical. Like, hysterical bonding <laughs> over, like, shared trauma and sh- and, like... It's kind of awful. Like this is why I I really don't like Lena Dunham or Sex in the City. Uh, and I feel like where I feel ra- a racialized pressure is in that dimension. From like the expectations placed on me by other women, uh, specifically around like sex. Um, like it's a, it was a huge thing. Like and I imagine for like upper crust white women, it was actually a revolutionary thing to be like, yeah, we can we can screw just like men. We can sleep around. You know, we can go on these slut walks and we can take back every, you know, we can take back our sexuality and, you know, feeling the pressure of like, like, like friends who wanted to buy into that, but like if you're, if you're Asian, you're already your problem wasn't, if you're talking about stereotypes, you're, as an Asian woman, your predominant problem isn't gonna be, um that you're desexualized, you know um, so I feel like I've. So I feel like if you, as an Asian woman, kind of tunnel into this whole like post Sex in the City, uh, slightly pre like girls' uh, wave of sex positive like uh, feminism, you're still buying into a racialized stereotype of yourself as a woman, as an Asian woman. To all you white sluts out there, <laughs> fuck you. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it's not like it's, I won't slut shame. I'm not that like I. I have no judgment on. It's just simply nothing that I wanted to engage in myself. Um, That's just the thing. Like, and I do feel a lot of uh, like, I've seen, you know, Asian friends kind of get pressured into that. um, And being kind of this like empowered white woman, basically. Uh, And I, and I, I I don't have any information on how that played out, but it just made me like, I remember feeling a little nervous about that. Uh, Like, to a guy, to a horny guy, does it really matter if a woman is throwing herself at him because she feels like an empowered feminist nope. or not?
1: I think Jong, you and I no. we can so, confidently say nope. <laughs> yeah,
3: so like as... <laughs> Um, so I feel like like it's a disservice to young women to kind of buy into that whole like like girl like the Lena Dunham uh uh Sex in the City like school of feminist thought. I I I do think that's it's a problem.
1: Uh, I feel like that's uh like a whole other pod. You could probably do like a one woman pod on that. <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, we should save it for that. Um, uh, but I think uh I think this is one of those episodes where we we can provide uh a like a call to action at the end, which is which is good. And and I would actually just say you know just just talk more amongst. Uh, yourselves, like like a lot of this like emotional labor stuff. The the really bad parts of it are because you're not talking it. Uh, and, and when I say talk about it, I don't mean go publish something in some uh, you know white dominated uh, publication talking about how miserable your Asianness is. No, I mean go and talk to other Asian Americans. Keep it more uh, casual. Keep it more down to earth. Don't make it about Uh, you know, creating a personal brand or some bullshit like that. No, just like, talk more, you know? That will will deal with a lot of the sense of, like, alienation and and the sense that, like, you're weird or whatever. Uh, You're not. I mean, I would say
3: also the corollary to that is value the Asian perspective. Yeah, for sure. Like, there is a fundamental value to it and a validation that can really only come from other Asians in this regard. Exactly, yeah. Um, like, leaving aside, like, any, like, lingering hope of acceptance or whatever, like, just leave that aside. Like, we can get to that later. But for now, like, if you're struggling with that, you need to start valuing, like, what other Asians have to say on this. Um, like, this is just a prerequisite. Like, we talk about, you know, like, not really feeling accepted until, like, a white person accepts you. Um, like, we we can't talk about that quite yet. We need to talk about how we accept each other right now. Like, leave white people outside the door at the moment.
2: Yeah, I think it's especially important for Asian women to listen to Asian men. Because, like, like Asian women, I feel like, like we talk to each other more about this sort of thing, but it just seems like men don't have that outlet. And so if it's like, if they're even able to, like, be at that point to, like, talk to somebody about it like just be supportive just be like yeah
1: say it like
2: say what you need to say
1: i i won't say no to that (laughs) (laughs) um guys we got we should wrap up soon all right so thanks guys this was uh enjoyed talking to you uh, about this so uh everyone have a good night thanks bye everyone thank you Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Escape from Plan A podcast. Um, As we tell you every week, uh, please subscribe. Please rate us. uh, Five stars. Uh, Please leave comments and go read our articles on planameg.com. We love doing this and we'll be back next week.